I'm quite smug. Before we came on, I thought oh, I'll quickly see if I can do a connection between <gasps> Gladiator and the Prestige. Yeah. And I have one. I actually oh, have on, one then. in my head. And so the connection is the film Her, which stars Joaquin Phoenix and yeah. the voice um, of the operating system, which is Scarlett Johansson. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember now. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. So my job is done. That's it for this week. So we've been up to anything interesting this week? It's been quite a short week, hasn't it? It has been a short week. I did watch Ava off Sky. Any good? I thought it was okay. All about an assassin, basically, which is played by Jessica Chastain. And John Malkovich was her handler and would tell her what's her next job. But it would come from management. Management was called Simon, played by Colin Farrell. And I think Colin Farrell let the side down. I think his acting was a bit too cheesy. The script probably wasn't that strong. It could have been stronger. It's an easy film to watch, but don't expect like Oscar winning film, <laughs> basically. But yeah, I quite like watching female assassins. It's a slightly different <laughs> twist and angle. But actually on occasions, Jessica Chastain wouldn't really be able to fend off some of these big blokes. It was well choreographed, but it was she was too slight to, to really fend off these big guys that were coming after her. Yeah, it was slightly unbelievable. I'm a bit worried about you and your um, love for these female assassins. I'm a little bit worried. Mixes it up, doesn't it, really? <laughs> well, actually, Rob. I don't know. I'm in your sights now. I should. Uh... <laughs> but back to film. So, what have we got for this week then? We've got Big Hero 6 and Jurassic Park. So, it's really like a family film week, isn't it? It is, it is, which is nice. Two credible films as well. And very easy to watch. And one quite groundbreaking, the other one is all about innovation. That's right. Shall we start with Big Hero 6? Okay. Because I didn't realise that this won an Oscar for Best mm. Animated Feature Film. Because when I first saw this, I saw it with the kids, and I think I must have joined it about 20 minutes in. And I really, I really loved it. But it's only when I was watching it this time round and delving into it a bit that I, I didn't realise it won an Oscar. So that's quite impressive. Okay, okay. So as directed by Don Hall and Chris Williams, screenplay by Jordan Roberts, Robert L. Baird and Daniel Gerson. And this is from 2014. It's based on a Marvel comic, but unlike the bigger, better known characters and films, it's a standalone adaptation. So there's no links to Marvel films, if you like, or this larger cinematic universe. So this is set in this kind of hybrid city which meshes San Francisco and Tokyo to give us San Francisco, which was awesome, wasn't it? We can talk about that later, but it was yeah. such a simple idea, but it worked so well. We've got 14-year-old tech genius Hiro Hamada, who makes money from illegal robot fights, which basically often lands him in trouble. And after winning one of these fights against a dubious gang leader, which results in this chase, his older brother, college student Tadashi, comes to his rescue. He takes him to his laboratory to try and persuade him to stop these robot fights and put his brain and put his skills to better use. There he meets Tadashi's nurse robot Baymax that he's developing. And he also meets his brother's friends, Gogo Tamago, Wasabi, Honey Lemon and Fred, each of whom are unique characters in themselves. And they're all there busy developing or creating their own tech inventions. 
So Hero is totally seduced and immediately wants to join. And he has the opportunity to do so by inventing something to present at a science fair, which is overseen by the head of the university, Professor Callahan. So Hero goes away and like something out of an A-team clip. He continues to develop this robot technology that he'd been using for his robot fights. And he comes up with this invention called a microbot. It's a mass of tiny, tiny robots that swarm around and mesh together to create all these mass application. It was almost like something out of the Matrix or even Venom, you know, the way this kind of black swarm it's almost like these shape-shifting mass of tiny robots. Anyway, it's so impressive that it just blows everyone away at the fair. Callahan offers him his place on the spot. Before accepting, you have this tech tycoon called Alistair Cray who comes over and offers to buy this microbot tech to set him up for life. But Hero decides to stay at the university with Callahan and study. Then when Hero and Tadashi leave the fair, a massive fire breaks out uh, and Tadashi decides to return to the building to try and rescue Professor Callahan, who's still inside. The building blows up and Tadashi dies, leaving Hiro absolutely distraught. And a few days later, or in the aftermath of this at home, he accidentally activates his brother's nurse robot, Baymax, which is in his room. And when they notice one of Hiro's microbots is kind of oscillating in this uh, case... Like in like a magnet, it's stuck in a particular direction. Baymax wanders off with this tracking-like device in search of the location it's pointing towards, which is this disused warehouse at local harbour. Here they find a masked man, but the team, Gogo, Tamago, Wasabi, Honey Lemon, Fred, they all arrive summoned by Baymax because Baymax was responding instinctively to the grief that he could see in Hero's eyes. And so as a robot, he immediately responds to um, activate, notify all of his friends. So they all arrive. The masked man attacks the group. So they go off and form a plan. And then we have, led by Hero and Baymax, they all develop their own tech inventions into this armor or weaponry to form this superhero team called Big Hero 6. And they set out to capture the masked man, who they believe to be tech tycoon Alistair Cray. But of course, nothing is as it seems, and they are in for a big surprise. So it's just such a fun film with its heart in a really good place, a feisty, determined character at the head of it all, this beautiful, lovable, baby-like, marshmallow-like robot, Baymax. And visually, I just thought it was stunning. As I said, the whole depiction of San Francisco, I thought was amazing. Not very long, as with many animations. I don't think it's, uh, it's about an hour and a half, isn't it? Or something like that. So whisks by, yeah, I loved it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I liked it too. And I didn't realise this was the 54th animation feature for Disney, which is impressive how many they've actually done. And you've already mentioned about it being a film inspired by the Marvel comic with the same name. But who owns Marvel? Disney, of course. So they, of course they're going to roll out something like this. So, And I feel it's Disney's answer to having a strong brotherly story. This is developed in 2000, well, released in 2014. And Frozen was for the sisters, really, in 2013, that was released. However, and this is not really a spoiler alert, you've already mentioned Hero's brother dies early in the film. And they also have no parents at the start either. They're looked after by Aunt Cass. And I really wish that there was 
a decent Disney film that was for slightly older kids that didn't have to include somebody dying, really. I much prefer if the brother could stick around and they solve crimes together. But you've got like Toy Story and Cars and they're probably one of the very few Disney films that nobody dies really in, in it. Those two are possibly targeting a younger audience to watch it as well as adults as well. So the bond between Hiro and Tadashi uh, was really lovely. Learning from each other, you know, the older one trying to steer him straight, practically sharing a room. Their rooms were side by side as well. I just thought that the, the bond between was really really strong and it could have continued I think throughout the film however there are some theories I took a look at fangirl on YouTube and it says Tadashi lives there's a YouTube episode there which is really somebody's theories that how they think Tadashi actually hasn't died at all I could totally imagine that actually I mean the fate of both of those two characters Tadashi it goes in and Callahan who's in there what subsequently happens, you, you, it does plant the seed as to whether Hadashi... They're working together. Yeah. And They're I working didn't... together. There's so much technology there that could save a, a life as well. Or could these microbots protect him as well? So you just, you just don't know. And there was no body found either. So there's lots of theories that he could actually be alive. But the other thing is, is that could Baymax be part of this? You know, Baymax was developed at the university and Callahan was head of this uh, department. Could he have tampered with the robots to spy on Hero to find out when the right time to pull in this genius? He's a, I mean, he's a 14-year-old high school graduate. He's very clever, very smart, and they wanted him on their team, basically. And Tadashi, why would he work with Callahan? I think not necessarily to support Callahan with his revenge, which you'll find out through the film, but also, you know, he hated companies that exploited technology for huge profits. So there's lots Lots of angles. This is brilliant because I just watched it and just let all this wash over me. And I love the fact that just like last week when we were talking about the prestige. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, even with this film, there are other meanings or things that you yeah. can take from it. I, I, hadn't, yeah. I hadn't even thought about it. I love it. I, no, I hadn't either until I watched that. And I just thought, actually, yeah, you got a good point there. But, you know, could there be, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a big Hero 7? We don't know. And, you know, maybe Tadashi does come back because there's a couple of characters in the in the Marvel comic that haven't been shown. I know they changed their slightly for this feature film, but there are two characters where their powers are not, you know, shown in this film. So maybe Tadashi does come back and they all join forces. I would love that. And it'll make such a lovelier film that he hasn't actually passed away. They're going to fight the baddies together, Hiro and Tadashi and, and their friends. So, yeah, I think that would be great, make a great movie. It's got to be on the cards, isn't it? The film did so well. And now that you've explained yeah. it like that, it does mm. seem completely ripe for, da, da, for a da, second da. film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd love it. Oh, that'd be really one good good one to watch. And that brings up Brothers. We've had Frozen 2 just recently. When's Big Hero 7 going to come out? That's what I want to know. So uh, I haven't looked it up to see if there is one in production on IMDb at all, but, you know, I could go scouting a bit later. Um, I think, it, yeah, I agree. It's a very colourful film. I like the fact that Tadashi's classmates gather to make sure his kid brother is okay and, and cared for, and there's a lot of empathy in this film. I love the different names of the characters and they're all got a slightly Japanese feel. Obviously, you've spoken already about the sort of joined up two cities, probably to appeal to an Asian and a US audience. So San Francisco, how do you say it? San, I can never say it right. San Francisco. 
San Francisco, yeah, that's the one. And it's got a multicultural feel as well. You would see it's got more of a Japanese flavour to it, but you would see shops that had English and Japanese text. And then you all even saw in one scene, there's a tram that you would see in San Francisco. That was exactly the same as what you saw in that shot. And yeah, you wanted to touch on that as well, because I know that you had some thoughts about the uh, combination of the Asian and American feel. Oh, I just thought it looked beautiful. I mean, I suppose we, we start, we kind of take it for granted now when you watch an animation, how well these things are often brought to life. But I just thought, I was watching some, some of the scenes, the detail I thought was incredible. It's not as simple as, yeah, looking a bit like a Chinatown in, in any city. It's, it's like you mm-hmm. say, it's much more than that, the way yeah. that they mesh the two together. Yeah. I mean, reading about it, the idea was is that San Francisco is flattened in, by the earthquake in the early 1900s, and it was down to Japanese immigrants that helped to rebuild the city, hence Mm. why it has this Japanese flavour. So I don't know whether that comes from the comic book, but that's just something I read. And I loved it. I loved it. And in terms of the detail, there's lots of Walt Disney characters and films referenced in this. For example, when the team went back to Fred's house, there were various figures in one of the rooms, and a lot of those were referenced to The Incredibles and uh, and other kind of characters. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, this is a common thing that I didn't know. I mean, you wouldn't know, would you, until you looked into it. But all Disney films apparently place a teaser within the kind of landscape Mm. of the film of what the next Disney release is going to be. Ah, I didn't know that. Having said that, I now need to see what the next Disney film was because I can't remember what it was. But there is a poster in the scenery of the next Disney film that was released. But I just loved it. I, I just, it just, you know, that like you, we talked about this before, this whole world building, I think is so important in these types of films. Yeah. And I just thought they did it really, really well. Yeah, and, and, and just on the, on the characters as well. I mean, my favourite scene was actually when Hero meets Baymax for the second time, when he hurts himself and Baymax kind of comes to life in um, his brother's bedroom and wants to check him over. However, a hero keeps hurting himself even more, and he detects that he's emotionally unhappy or hormonal. And he's, you know, he's a 13 to 14-year-old boy, and he says, you're going through puberty. But when hero actually falls over the first time, between the bed and the table, you see apparently in the ceiling Oswald the Lucky Rabbit's face, which was apparently designed and created before Mickey Mouse. So there's little nuggets of innovation that you can see throughout some of these scenes as well, which I think is great. So there are some big hero shorts and, and TV series that you can find on Disney+. Plus. The quality is slightly different to the film production, obviously, which you do tend to find anyway when they do TV series. It's a quicker rollout, obviously, to, to not spend as much money on the quality of it. And then most of the cast are in it, apart from Mayor Rudolph. She played Aunt Cass she's not in the in the tv series and tj miller who's with fred he's not in it either and he's you may have seen him in deadpool and cloverfield and and recently underwater as well with Kristen stewart obviously it's hard to pin down the really bigger names in in the cast really but there was a lot of i wouldn't say there was really strong names in in the cast at all but you didn't need it i don't think you needed it for this film i think very much relied on the quality of the script and also how colorful and innovative it was i like this film in particular because the students from san Fran's go and say the name san francisco you're going to fill them in in San Francisco. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is going to be my only, <laughs> in, my only input to the review of this film. 
<laughs> I like it because the students from San Francisco. Oh, Francisco. San, San so Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> We're a bit like me, actually, at that age. I studied industrial design and came up with all sorts of weird and wonderful innovations myself in my past. So I have a bit of a connection with it. However, I'm not a superhero. Boo. Or maybe I am, but you'll never know. You are. You're a superhero assassin. That's what you are. <laughs> That's why I watch all those assassin, female assassin movies to get tips. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I think it's colourful and it's funny and it's an Oscar winning picture, as we've already mentioned. And I just like the friendship bonds that are created here. And I really hope there is a big Hero 7 to come. So do you yeah. want to give them any more thoughts before I give the rating? Well, I reckon the main thought is the point that you brought up quite early on, which I think is an interesting one because this has come up before, which mm. is this theme of death in Disney films or, or anim- you know, animated films. Because yeah. this last came out when we reviewed Coco. And of course, Coco you know, is all about the theme of death. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Disney do have a long-standing tradition. They don't tend to shy away from people dying in in films. And I suppose it's going to depend on the audience, isn't it? Some kids might be more susceptible to reacting negatively to that, and others may accept it. And I suppose you could argue that the flip side is it's to introduce children as softly as you can to that theme as an important thing that just happens in life and not something necessary to be scared or afraid of. And in some ways, it can kind of act as a form of inspiration for some some of the characters. Um, I just think it's a really interesting point the scene where the explosion happens in the building, in some ways it creates that bigger impact, doesn't it? Because the brother's left in the building and you're kind of immediately introduced to this brotherly love. And just as Tadashi inspires, if you like, his brother to take this path of joining the university, his life's taken away. So it is, you know, it's quite an impactful start. That That's almost his drive, isn't it? To kind of fulfil what his brother stood for. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that, on the note of educating children. There's adoption, there's animals dying, what do you do then? There's, you know, when the new baby's coming. So I guess you could look at an animal dying, Bambi as well, for Disney. New baby coming. Bambi, that's right. I forgot about Bambi. Bambi's a classic one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's Lady in the Tramp for a new baby coming. There's adoption. It could be Tarzan, I guess. There's Yeah, yeah, they're trying to be educators, yeah. But if you think about it, a lot of these films were probably inspired by fairy tales. And if you think of some of the fairy tales that get out now and read to your children, crikey. I mean, there's some pretty serious twisted Mm, themes in there. So I wonder whether that's why right from the beginning that it's just always been part of the staple. But you don't come away from the film, do you, dwelling on the death, but it's just obviously it's quite an impactful part of it. And as you say, he probably doesn't die. So hey-ho, he's coming back in Big Hero 7. We'll probably find there isn't a Big Hero 7. We're just making up this new thing. I'll tell you what, Rob, let's make Big Hero 7. Okay. We'll write the script. Big Hero 7. Oh, it's like some like stop animation thing on our iPhone. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I was going to say one of my um, 
favorite parts of the film was was the character Baymax. Obviously, he was kind of yeah. like the star of the show. Not, yeah. not only did I just think this big, white, inflatable robot just looks so unique, and the fact that he kind of bottled around side yeah. to side, it was like reminded yeah. me when R two D two. Like, how did R two D two get from yeah. there so quickly? Apparently, they designed Baymax on uh, the, the walk of Baymax and the movement like a baby wearing a nappy. And then also, I just loved it when they he would. <laughs> squeeze himself into these tiny little spaces and he'd have to deflate and or he ripped a little bit of himself he had to be patched up and that's obviously he gets his arm a bit later but it's kind of like a big friendly uncle avuncular is that the right word avuncular yeah, yeah. but the best and, bit the yeah. best bit is when that big friendly uncle comes back to the house and it looks like the whole scene has been written as if he's coming back from a night out drunk, which is when Baymax basically starts to lose battery power whilst he's out and about. And the way in which that kind of is um, illustrated, I suppose, to the audience is Baymax's speech starts curing all a little bit blurry <laughs> like that. And it's quite funny to begin with, but it really comes to life when... Hero has to carry him back to the house. And when he walks in, he's trying to sneak Baymax up the stairs without his aunt hearing, like classic kind of, I suppose, cinema trope. I'm sure all of his mannerisms for that scene is just like someone who's trying to creep in drunk. The way he steps yes. forward and his yes. head hits the stairs immediately. <laughs> and he's kind of like, he's going, you know, he talks in this really funny, drunky baby voice. That was yeah. one of my favourite scenes. And I also just love, you know, I think there's that one scene where Baymax just gives Hero a massive hug in the aftermath of his um, brother dying, which is just one of those kind of tender moments. I suppose I like those scenes where it's the human emotions coming across from this robot character it's like when he did the fist pump where hero's teaching him how to do the fist pump and you know it's something baymax then does with with other people but he obviously gets it slightly wrong i just thought all that stuff was very funny i think everybody would love a baymax wouldn't they really be brilliant imagine if you're ill and and he tells you what's wrong and right now's the time to go to the doctors or something like that but he's just so loyal and then he'll do everything for you until you say i am satisfied (laughs) So, so um, I like Baymax, very yeah. cute character and well-designed, definitely. Yeah. And so the other thing I thought when I was watching this film is because the technology or the computer program designed for Baymax is he always analyzes people and effectively scores them on a scale, whether it's like, you know, how they're feeling, their health or whatever it might be. So constantly he says... On a scale of one, how would you rate your pain or how would you rate your health and all this stuff? So I thought it's perfect. It's like on a scale of one to ten, Sarah, how do you rate this film? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I don't have 10,000 responses, medical responses. Uh, I am going to rate this film eight and a half out of ten. I think it's a lovely film. It's very colourful. It's funny as well. And it just uh, brings me back to my uni days. Yep, I'm going to match you again. I just, I, I knew I do match you a lot, but I so genuinely also thought this was eight, was eight and a half. For yeah. some reason, maybe it wasn't quite as interesting and complex to take it up to like a nine or plus, you know, like Toy Story or something like that. Okay, and that's but groundbreaking. That was it? exactly it was groundbreaking. But it was, it was such fun, great characters, amazingly animated and brought to life. So yeah, yeah. eight point five for me as well. Cool. So on to Jurassic Park. 
I don't know if we could go on. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only bit I know. I, I, can't, I can't. There's not even any range in it. So. Do, 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 the album's out beginning of next week folks a robin sarah track yeah (laughs) anyway yeah classic film very futuristic back in 1993 and the animatronics and special effects with the dinosaurs was something we'd not really seen before so i have to say i was thinking this was potentially a guilty pleasures movie but i actually don't think it is i I think it's strongly a action adventure sci-fi movie and well acclaimed as well it's directed by steven spielberg i was thinking during the movie i hope he gets a lifetime achievement at the oscars you know i think steven spielberg you, you mentioned chris nolan and ridley scott are your favorite directors but i think actually steven spielberg might be my favorite director anyway as the cinemas have been reopening you'll find that jurassic park is playing across the uk at the moment and it currently sits at the top 10 but a couple of weeks ago it was number one which is great considering you know we're looking at 1993 when it was first launched and back in 1993 guess how much it grossed back then oh well you're gonna tell me but i i did yeah. read this earlier was, so, it, was it in the billion it's a billion it was billion yeah a billion uh, worldwide gross which is incredible because you know i've been saying oh you know we're getting 400 and something million i'm thinking that's amazing now when you look at films today they're in their billions so what would you say is the highest grossing film of all time um, I will go into Jurassic Park in a minute. <laughs> well, I think it, it's either, I mean, it was Titanic for a long time, but is it uh, not one of the Avengers films now? Avengers yeah, Endgame, Endgame or Endgame, Endgame yeah. Yeah, yeah, Avengers Endgame. But Jurassic World, which came, you know, more recently off the back of Jurassic Park series, that got 1.6 billion as well. So it started a good thing, let's just say, Jurassic Park. So to the storyline so the isle of nebula features a new park built with genetically engineered dinosaurs and the start of the film we see scientists and an army moving a dinosaur into its new home unfortunately with a gatekeeper's death as well which kind of sets precedence for the rest of the film really when what's to come so the founder of the park john hammond played by sir richard attenborough requests some paleontologist dr alan grant played by sam neill and his assistant dr ellie satzler played by Laura Dern to come and be dazzled by this park and at the same time Hammond seeks investment to support the park so lawyer Donald Gennaro played by Martin Ferrero and Chaotician which is a person who's focused their studies on mathematical fields of chaos theory that's the one. Uh, is also is also invited and that's Dr Ian Malcolm played by Jeff Goldblum and they are accompanying the paleontologists, so Neil and Dern's characters. They are amazed to see the first herbivore brontosaurus that they encounter and they get taken around the park to check it's safe and basically to blow their minds. And accompanying them are Hammond's grandchildren, Lex and Tim, aged about 10 and 12, played by Ariana Richards and Joseph Mazzello. At the same time, we have a, a kind of secondary story to this. 
Uh, we have Dennis Nedry, played by Wayne Knight, an IT specialist at the park, who is trying to make himself a buck or two and plans to steal dinosaur embryos from the park to give to a research company, I guess, to create something similar as well. He goes to great lengths to get to this person waiting at the dock for him. In order to do that, he has to switch off the gates, power, uh, so he can drive more freely through the park. The power is down and the guests are on their tour and the power in the cars are disabled, and then they're sitting ducks, basically, and they start hearing these stomps, stomp, stomp, stomp of a very large dinosaur. Can you imagine which one it is? And the water in their car starts sort of wobbling and rattling, and they see the dinosaur's tea of goat disappear. Next, they have the lawyer exiting the children's car that he's in, running off to, to hide in this the hut, which is actually a toilet. And the T-Rex is trying to rattle the cars and taking them on this tour. I'll leave it there because there's many memorable scenes in this film. And I'd love to get your best bits, Rob, and what you thought. It was amazing. I, I saw um, this film about three or four months ago. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched it with my son and watched it on a relatively small screen and probably only got halfway through and we never got around to watching the second half. Yeah, I, I did. I must admit, I didn't have massive expectations watching it, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I remember mm. now just how impressive it was as a piece of groundbreaking blockbuster cinema introducing dinosaurs as nobody has ever seen before with the wizardry of visual effects and animatronics, plus also the wizardry of Spielberg, who just is so good at putting these epic adventure action films together. I was just gripped from start to finish. And I forgot just how relentless the film becomes, you know, once the dinosaurs are effectively out and hunting down all the various characters. I forgot just how long it goes on for and how many you know, amazing set pieces there are. I, w I was interesting to read that there's only 15 minutes of dinosaurs on film in the entire thing, which is incredible, really, because it feels like you know, the T-Rex is like the, one of the main characters of the film. But I think that's just testimony to how good Spielberg is. So much yeah. of the action happens without you seeing the dinosaurs, I mean, it's done in many, many films. I mean, it's done classically in Jaws. We don't see the shark for like an hour and 20 minutes or something stupid. And we see it in other suspense films that, you, you know, you get the glimpses of the dinosaurs in their cages. You might see a close-up of the eye or something like that. But it's not really until the scene where you see the T-Rex does the whole thing come to life. It, it does so many things. So the piece where... The team arrive on the island and you know, Hammond takes them out to see the dinosaurs for the very first time, as it were, living wild on the island. That scene, that classic scene of Sam Neill like looking out and you know, turning Laura Dern's uh, head and they're looking in uh, awe as they see these herds. You know, and that's the other thing. It's in Hawaiian Island where this was filmed. Looks stunning. I mean, it absolutely, it's beautiful. So like when you then couple that with these amazing effects, even now watching it, it just looks so beautifully colourful. I think in some ways that was one of my favourite scenes. There's a scene when they're just looking down to this lake, like a watering hole, and seeing dinosaurs feed. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think it's probably because the dinosaurs were at a distance. It looks, even now, just looked so kind of realistic. 
it. Whereas one of the early scenes where the herd of dinosaurs kind of runs past them, you know, if you're going to see a film like that today, the effects might be a bit crisper. I think they fell down slightly in some sequences, but I think they're so terrifying in so many of the best moments of the film, you'd completely forgive it for thinking, well, if they did it now, it would, it would look even better. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of standout moments, you know, there are so many. I mean, obviously, the sequence where we meet T-Rex for the first time, where it's dark and it's raining and they're all trapped in these cars. And, and it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazingly done. The, and on that, on yeah. that one, there, I don't know whether you saw, there was a bit of a blooper there because the T-Rex was, you know, tampering with the car, playing with the kid's car. Before that, you probably noticed when Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum were in the other car, they looked what's going on in, in the car. They got the light on. The car doors were both all shut. And then the next scene was the boy shutting the car door that got the dinosaur's attention to kick off all that chaos, basically. So that was a big blooper that they made there. Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't see that, but that does sound one of those ones that continuity-wise is a bit of a howler. it didn't work. There must have been a far more subtle one that I read about, which was apparently the animatronic model of the T-Rex that was used lost a tooth during that (laughs) sequence because of the biting down on on the tyre. Apparently that whole T-Rex didn't do well with water on it. And of course, because that scene, it's pouring with rain, they didn't get that long to use it before the controlling device for it. It it all just kind of broke down and they had to dry it off overnight and then basically go again the next day. And in doing so, apparently the dinosaur lost two teeth and they (laughs) had to try and glue these two teeth back in and one of them them kept falling out, so they just left it. And apparently if you freeze frame it, you'll see a tooth missing. But I Anyway, what was I talking about? Best scene. So that, I mean, obviously that's a classic. The scene where you've got, is it the Velociraptor in the kitchens? The, the, I mean, that is amazing yeah. going after the two children. It really is. I mean, it's almost comical because there's a brilliant line where Laura Dern's character, who's just got back to the control room, this brief respite where I think someone asks her, do we think everything's all right? And I think she says yes, unless they've learned how to open a door. And then we cut to the like, <laughs> yeah. Velociraptor opening the door. And it's just, it's almost like it's dark comedy. And their expressions, the dinosaurs, especially in that sequence, where they're so honed in on getting into this kitchen and eating these two children. Super intelligent ones, aren't they? Yeah, precisely. So that's obviously an amazing sequence. Some of the most memorable ones that for me actually are a bit smaller the character Nedry who's trying to get these embryos down to be taken off the island and he comes a cropper in this scene where this dinosaur appears as he's trying to rescue his truck that's gone off road and so he gets out of the car and he's got a rope and he's tying it around this tree and then he sees this really inquisitive relatively small dinosaur peeking out behind this tree almost innocent like and to begin with he sees it and he's a bit scared but walks off and then it suddenly appears again like right in his face and it spits this horrible black acidy stuff into his eyes and its neck suddenly like sprouts open into this big crest like hood it's bright yellow and kind of hisses it's a really like it it goes from what looks like a very unassuming dinosaur to a terrifying i mean i found it more terrifying the way that was done in some ways and some of the t-rex stuff 
eventually gets back to his car, um, but the dinosaur appears at his window. And yes, and then, you know, you get many of these scenes, actually, where the camera pulls back and you've either got branches in the way or trees in the way, or in this particular case, it pulls back and you can't really see inside the car. You see a dinosaur basically devouring someone, but it's at that distance. You can't kind of see it, but it's pretty horrific. And when that dinosaur is in the car and he sees him in the car, it makes this horrible rattle noise. And they deliberately used the sound effect of a rattlesnake because they knew that would instinctively scare people anyway. In actual fact, I thought it was quite interesting that the noises of all these dinosaurs, that they took sound effects from loads of different animals and put them together to create them. And on that, they won three Oscars, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects and Best Visuals. That's right, they did. And it's interesting that you brought that up because you were talking about Spielberg. And I knew this only won a handful of Oscars, Jurassic Park. And I just looked to see who it was up against that year. And of course, it was up against another one of Spielberg's films, Schindler's List. So in actual fact... Schindler's List won seven Oscars, was nominated for another five Oscars. And also, you know, you've got those three Oscars for Jurassic Park. Between the two films, Spielberg bagged 10 Oscars. He cites that particular period in his career as one of the hardest because he went straight from filming on Jurassic Park to begin production on Schindler's List. And whilst he was in production filming on Schindler's List, during the daytime, in the evening time, he was having to take calls whilst they were doing post-production on Jurassic Park. And he said it was the most demanding period of his whole career. Mm. And as a result, he took a bit of a break after that. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he's won two Oscars for directing. One, as you mentioned, Schindler's List, the other one for Saving Private Ryan. My only final point, I mean, there's so much more you can say about Jurassic Park, but it is a majestic, film and in terms of just amazing family because it's a it's a great family film as well which is right on the edge of quite you know super scary jumps if you like with all the dinosaur plus just this epic action adventure film which you can totally see how would appeal to kids especially with the subject of dinosaurs but i just thought jeff goldblum He's amazing. His couch is so, so cool in this. He got all of the best lines in the film. I just thought he was absolutely superb. I mean, this is almost like a comeback for him because he filmed The Fly in 1986, but he hadn't really done any decent films after that, really. He was just a bit cheesy, I felt, as well. I can't believe he would flirt with Laura Dern's character in front of her partner, you know, Sam Neill's character. And it's just like, you know, the audacity of the guy. You know, you knew what you get with Jeff Goldblum. He's, he's quite cheesy anyway. In real life, I hear, he's a bit of a joker. Interesting you talk about his on-screen flirtation with Laura Dern because those two hooked up on the film they got together and that they had a relationship for two years and I think were engaged or nearly engaged. Apparently he does have a reputation for doing that kind of thing. Uh, He has got together with a lot of his co-stars. So whilst you kind of watch Jeff Goldblum and you think he's so kind of odd looking and cheesy, but he plays on that whole character really. He almost sends himself up. He's obviously got something about him that the ladies do like, or at least did did back then. And he, and he continues to be in the rest of the series, I think, doesn't he? I don't know whether he's in the latest ones. Is he in the latest ones with uh, Chris Pratt? 
I've only seen one other one. <gasps> and he, yeah, I know. Well, it's like all these things. The second one that was made, I heard it was like good, but it's not going to be as good as the very first one. And the one I did see, which I think may have been Jurassic World. Yeah. I just kind of thought we've just we've seen all this before. Yeah, and it's got Chris Pratt in it. It's just you know. He was yeah, and he was in Jurassic World as well. Yeah. So I'm gonna give this film. Uh, I'm gonna give it nine out of ten. Now I'm gonna give it nine out of ten because I wouldn't say like it's a real like oh my god this is one of my favourite films ever. But for the type of cinema it is and the demographic it's trying to hit and the way Spielberg puts together, just for that kind of film, it just ticks all the boxes. It's fun. It's funny in places. It's scary in places. The characters are well enough drawn. And like you say, it's groundbreaking. Yeah, and that's that's a great score. And I'll tell you what mine is in a minute um, because I think we've missed something. We missed Samuel L. Jackson being in this film. I know, I was. It's Jim. How how He's in every film. Yeah, I know, but it's, I would say this is probably one of his first big blockbuster films, wasn't it, really? Um, because before this, he had Coming to America, a small bit part, Do the Right Thing, a small part in that, The Goodfellas and Patriot Games and fairly small parts in those. So this was a little slightly bigger part, more speaking involved with this. So I thought it was great to see him in this. And then, all right, a couple of computers in the film looked a little bit dated, but the technology was super advanced and you're never going to get, you know, genetically modified dinosaurs. At least I hope not anyway in this in this world. I really did love watching this film again. I mean, I haven't seen it for a little while and I was really surprised. I thought, oh, it's, you know, I know what happens. But actually the detail of it is great. There was a few bloopers, as I mentioned before. I was going to give it a slightly higher score originally, but then I saw that major blooper with the T-Rex scene. But I'm going to give it a very respectful 9 out of 10 as well. So, uh, And if you want to see it at the cinema on the big screen with the surround sound, you can. And not only that, at the moment, it's on Netflix, as is all, the, all the Jurassic Park <laughs> films. So yeah. it, it, like, I think maybe it's had the same impact as you. It really took me by surprise how much I enjoyed it. So, yeah, awesome. So awesome. it's going to add a couple more million to that billion, I think, you know, worldwide gross. Steven Spielberg made 250 million personally from that film. Wow, another world, another life. <laughs> anyway, that's <bad to> reality. <laughs> Ring us back down. Uh, if, only, if only we could afford another couple of microphones, eh? And really fast broadband. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Okay, so we're on to selecting films, and so far this round, we've had drama, action, and animation. Okay, so I am picking out War. <laughs> War, right, okay. We're due, we're due a serious film. <laughs> we're due, we are, we are. Uh, War. I have seven wars. I'm going to go for number seven, the last one you added to the list. It is Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh, really from nine, 1987 with Robin Williams. Oh, starring. we haven't had one film with Robin Williams in yet. No, Comedy and War. This one features under. So, starring Williams and Forrest Whitaker in this. In 1965, an unorthodox and irreverent DJ named Adrian Cronier begins to shake up things when he is assigned to the U.S. Armed Services radio station in Vietnam. So, where can we find this one, Sarah? It's streaming on Now TV. You can rent it from Rakuten TV and Sky Store, and you can buy from most other online channels. 
So let's go for sci-fi. Sci-fi. So I've got 15 sci-fis. I'm going to go for number 15, please. Number 15 is A Quiet Place. Ah, brilliant one. Have you seen it? Yes. So this is directed by John Krasinski and stars Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. Of course, these two are husband-wife off-screen mm-hmm. as well. It's a, quite a unique one, this one, and I think that's why I liked it. So in a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. It's quite chilling, really, this film. It is. I would say it's a horror as well, isn't it? It is. Or... Well, it's horror, sci-fi, drama. So, yes, you're yeah. right. And in the same way, I suppose, we've got Good Morning Vietnam is, is war, but there's also kind of drama and comedy in there. Yeah, this isn't out-and-out sci-fi, so it's something a little bit mm. different. So it's streaming on Netflix, and you can rent and buy off most online channels. Perfect. All good. Nice balance, actually. Bit of comedy war. A bit of uh, horror and sci-fi. Nice little combo, really. All good. So uh, what are you up to the rest of the week, then? Uh, what am I up to the rest of Well, I, I'm tempted to go and see... I want to see Mulan, um, which I know is mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. I also... It's not out yet. I think it might be coming out in the next week is the new Bill & Ted film. Oh, that'd be good. Look, yeah, yeah I'd love I quite to watch like, that. Yeah, that seems like a lot of fun. Are watching that at the cinema? That, no. will be, that will be at the cinema, yeah. so hopefully I'll mm. get back to the cinema to watch that. And just so you know, the 55th Disney film is Zootopia. There you go, Zootopia. So well, anyone who is now going to go and watch Big Hero 6, look out for it. Cool. Another good one. Loads right. of trivia. Aim to please. And we're going to put some more movie connections up on the Facebook for everybody to yep. have a go at. And for people who are listening, do try and get involved on Facebook or send us any messages. Or if you are watching along, great. We really appreciate everybody who's listening. So thanks very much again, Rob. All have right. a great week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.